Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got week five of college football. It's over. There's plenty of news to get to. We had some injuries. There's been some coaches that have been let go, some some programs certainly turning the, tip the page. But what about from an NFL draft standpoint? What are the big storylines? Who are the guys that are helping themselves the most? We're going to talk through that right at the top of the show with Saturday Scouting, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler here once again to give out our awards from this week's action. We're, we have game balls to give out, our plays of the week, some future studs to watch, and a whole lot more we get to it right at the top of the show. After that, on the clock, we've got Gabriella Giovanni. She gets to once again play judge and jury for Ben, Dane, and I in a segment where each week we're going to debate a topic, and this week we are talking through the best prospect right now who's helped themselves the most from the group of five, so outside the Power Five conferences. After that, I will commit a guy who's been on the show a couple times. That's Justice Mosqueda, uh, one of the best in the media when it comes to just kind of talking through defensive line play and uh, the, the, all the different aesthetics that go with playing out down in the trenches on defense. That is in our segment under the hood where again we just dive into the uh, the machinations of what makes great players great then we've got our scouting report where Ben Ben and I are going to go through a current Eagles player this week's subject safety CJ Gardner-Johnson where we'll reflect on them coming out of college he came out back in 2019 and just kind of bring it full circle with that player's projection development and how it relates to players in this current NFL draft class now uh, before we get started as always make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts leave us a rating leave us a comment if you've got a question leave it there in the comment box we will get to it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get things started. It's time to catch up with Ben and Dane. It's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's take a look here at this weekend in college football as I welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler for some Saturday scouting. Guys, we always start off with our game balls. And for me, uh, I'll go first here this week. Uh, we'll take a look at that Arkansas-Alabama game. was able to watch a large majority of this contest. Uh, the big news, obviously, Bryce Young leaving this game with a shoulder injury. Uh, doesn't look like it's too, too serious, thankfully. But uh, he leaves the game with a sizable lead. And then Arkansas makes it interesting uh, here late in that first half uh, in the middle of this game. But the guy who really kind of set the table for Alabama and let them take it away, uh, that was the running back, Jameer Gibbs. Career high, 226 scrimmage yards versus Arkansas. Uh, it was so, so important for them to get that run game going with Young out of the lineup. He had two huge runs late in this football game to really seal the victory. Nine, Almost nine yards of carry so far this season for Jameer Gibbs, and he's one of only two players in the country with at least 200 yards rushing and receiving. So you've seen that versatile skill set from Gibbs so far this year. And I think in this game, we saw the big play potential. So for me, uh, Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Alabama, he's been kind of a, a chunk player for them. It's not like he's been like the like the, the feature back and, oh, we're just going to hand the ball to him, uh, you know, 25 times a game every single week. That's not been That has not been his role, but he has been electric. And this past Saturday, he was a big reason why they won this football game, Dane. Well, it's strange because he had yet to have a game this year with double-digit carries. This was his first game uh, of that sort. And, uh, I mean, you look at it in a three-place uh, span, he had a 72-yard run, a negative one-yard loss, and then a 76-yard run. So, I mean, this guy, they were opening holes for him, and, and he did the rest with that speed. So there's there's so much to like about him as a runner. Um, I, you're right. It was an interesting kind of role for him uh, in, over the first four games. But then when they really committed to the run with Bryce Young out, uh, it was a chance for him to really show what he could do. His 
his ability to gash you in, in a lot of different ways is impressive. Um, you know, we're, we're going to hear a lot of those Alvin Kamara uh, comparisons. And, you know, I, I, it makes sense, except for, you know, Gibbs just a little bit smaller. So maybe mini Alvin Kamara. That, maybe that is the go-to comparison that we should be talking about. Do you think he's like a 4 five, five guy like Kamara? I don't, no, I don't think he's that. But, I mean, I don't he's know. Kamara, that, yeah, that play speed, I, that, that looks definitely looks faster on, field, on the field than in four five five. So let's uh, let's go to our, our next one here, Ben. Uh, who got your game ball here this weekend? Well, Cincinnati linebacker Ivan Pace Jr. has been an absolute tear since yep. transferring from Miami, Ohio. Week after week seems to be loading the stat sheet. Now leading FBS and pressures, TFL stops. Huge game against Tulsa at 10 tackles, two and a half TFLs, one and a half sack, forced fumble. And the play of the day, I think it was a PBU on fourth and one. Uh, to really seal the game in the fourth quarter there. So Ivan Pace Jr., yeah, I don't know if he's going to be like an athletic wonder, but he's a guy that can play in multiple positions and is a tough kid, ball magnet, and can contribute in multiple ways. Uh, and that Cincinnati team, it seems like he's already that veteran leader of the defense, uh, which had a big turnover from last year in Luke Fickle's team. So Ivan Pace Jr., really fun prospect. Yeah, a guy that I, I think we'll be talking about a, a little bit later in the show. And his brother's a nice player, too. Plays out in the slot in like a hybrid role. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a good defense out there in Cincinnati. They're real, obviously, they had a lot of turnover, but uh, he is a guy kind of that is the, the flag carrier for that defense right now and really kind of leading the charge. Uh, Dane, who got your game ball here this week? So I was debating between two corners uh, for my game ball. I'm just going to go with both of them. Uh, first up, Utah is Clark uh, Phillips the third. Turns out uh, that stands for three interceptions, uh, which is what he had against Oregon State, uh, including a pick six. So the first two I thought were just just bad throws by the quarterback. Uh, but the third interception uh, in the end zone uh, w- was a good player making a great play. And then that second corner is Mississippi State's Emmanuel Forbes. He finished the game with three passes defended. Uh, it's, he's an interesting player because he's a a little bit of a liability as a tackler and he tends to freelance at times in coverage, but he's twitchy and he gets his hands on the football, 11 career picks. He now shares the sec record with four pick sixes. So both these guys, Clark Phillips, Emmanuel Forbes, underclassmen corners who have a decision to make after this year. Uh, and if they do come out, they could be in the running to be one of the top five, six, seven, uh, corners in this draft. Yeah, it's a, obviously a bunch of corners, and we've talked about that cornerback class here this season. It, it's wide open, uh, so guys that are trying to make you know be movers and shakers and get up the board. Uh, it's good to see some of these guys starting to make some plays. Uh, let's get now into our one play takeaway. Ben, you can kick this category off. Well, North Dakota State just tore through their opponent over the weekend in their patented run game, and then they started digging into the playbook, featuring some pretty unique concepts, and they have an absolute stud prospect at fullback and Hunter Lepke. They did a bit of a lead leak wheel, kind of a lead run action, and then he sold the flat and then broke up the sideline and threw it to him, a kind of back shoulder. The sideline awareness, the tracking, the hands, the body control for a 240-pound fullback, this kid is just tons of fun to watch, tons of offensive line and tight end prospects. But don't forget about that big ugly in the backfield, clearing out those run lanes and Hunter Lepke, really fun fullback. I'm telling you, the Chargers are sitting here laughing that they got Xander Horforth from Purdue. He made their roster a really unique player, already contributing through four weeks. This kid also has a bit of a model like that and like a Kyle Juszczyk. There's a lot of things you could do with him. Really, really athletic player. Yeah, if he's, if, do you think he's got that kind of use check versatility in terms of being able to be moved around? Probably a little bit more of a pure fullback like use check. Uh, Xander was also a little bit of a halfback and did some pretty uh, tailback like things for Purdue at yeah. times. Um, but I think Lepke can serve a true fullback role. 
and then also do some kind of unique athleticism uh, wrinkles off of it, very much like Yuschek. Got it. All right. Well, let's get to uh, let's get to Dane's. Uh, Dane, who's your who's your one play takeaway this week? So uh, I'm going with Bryce Young. Uh, before the injury, uh, it was in the first half against Arkansas. Bryce Young had one of those wow plays that in a in a box score shows up as an incompletion. Uh, but on the tape, it really makes you sit up in your seat. It was a second and one play. Alabama is running play action against a stacked box. Arkansas is expecting the run. Uh, Young's looking for that vertical shot. It's not there. Uh, he gets pressure right in his face. He does a, a a great job eluding the pressure and then using his legs to buy time. He escapes the pocket. Ja'Cory Brooks, the receiver, does a good job working back to the line of scrimmage, and Young fires a perfect dart on the move, but it's dropped. Uh, this play, it, it's a great example of Young's pocket presence, the, the second reaction ability, even though in the box score, again, it's an incomplete pass. Love it. Yeah, Bryce Young uh, certainly flashes every game. And unfortunate to see him leave with that injury that we talked about. But uh, good to see that he was still able to, to show up for you uh, despite uh, that injury. I would stay at the quarterback's position. And usually we're talking about these one-play takeaways. is like, you know, this is a, a really positive play that's going to stick with us. I do wonder, when we talk about Will Levis, the quarterback from Kentucky, uh, Ole Miss, we, Ole Miss comes in, they get the big win over the Wildcats, big win for, uh, for Lane Kiffin in that program. Late in the game, Two fumbles in consecutive possessions uh, with the game on the line for Will Levis in Kentucky. And I do wonder uh, how much that decision-making and just the ability to take care of the football, the ball security, comes back to bite Will Levis when we have these conversations about these guys uh, when we get into the spring. Guys, I don't know if you if you caught this, the, the coverage from this game, but uh, you know Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, Todd McShay, they're, they're on the call. Todd McShay said that he had talked with multiple teams that had Will Levis either at number one or number two on their quarterback board ahead of C.J. Stroud and or Bryce. Young, uh, you know, it, I think that that has been the, the talk about Will Levis. Yeah, like this guy throws a, a great ball. He's got all the physical tools. And then they were glowing about the, the intangibles, the way that Kentucky staff talks about him. So, you know, obviously there, there's a lot going you know, in the right direction here with Will Levis. But, you know, at, at the end of this game, obviously coming through uh, with two fumbles late. And look, he, he was banged up. He, he had he had a, a dislocated finger uh, in this game that was injured. He, he played through it and got right back in. They had some other adversity on offense with injuries as well so uh it's not like oh this is a dump on section session for uh for will levis but those turnovers late in the game, is that going to be something that that haunts him down the line because that was a question we had coming into the year a little bit of that gunslinging mentality putting the ball in harm's way at times the decision making not always there obviously a little bit of an inexperienced player having only been a one-year starter coming into the season so uh, i think that will be one of the big topics when we talk about uh when we talk about will levis here throughout the course of the pre-draft process certainly a very talented player and a lot going for him, but uh, those turnovers, I wonder how much they will stick in people's minds here as we go through the rest of the year. Uh, let's now transition. Last year, his first year as a starter, he had five fumbles the entire year. This year, he already has four. So, you know, it's, it's something that wasn't that big of a deal coming into the year. It wasn't a red flag off of last year's tape, but this year uh, it's starting to creep up now. He had two fumbles uh, against Youngstown State and now two fumbles against Ole Miss. We'll see. It's something to look for uh, as we watch him moving forward. No, that, absolutely. Let's get to the next one here, our future stud. Guys, is ineligible for 2023, but just a name to file away for down the road. Uh, Dane, you can kick it off here. All right, so you guys ready for some really interesting intel? I mean, this is this is uh, breaking news. So Justin Herbert, he plays for the Chargers on Sundays. He actually suits up for North Carolina on Saturdays, <laughs> uh, and, he, and he uses an alias – called Drake May. It's really interesting. So <laughs> it sounds crazy, 
but I'm buying it uh, with the way May's been playing. Holy cow. Awesome athlete can make wow throws. I, 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 the Herbert stuff sounds hyperbolic. I get it. But man, he's got a lot of tools to work with. I, I, I really can't wait to, to really jump into his tape next summer because just, just watching him on just the TV and the broadcast view, he looks really impressive for a guy that's 6'4 plus, has that type of athleticism, ha- throws some beautiful throws, uses every level of the field. Uh, Drake May is a really impressive player. Uh, I love it. Uh, I'm going to stick at the quarterback position and I'm going to go back to this Alabama game, the, this Alabama Arkansas game. And, um, you know, Jalen Milrow comes in for Bryce Young with that injury. Uh, he's a four star recruit coming out of Texas, uh, ineligible for next spring, obviously. And look, he's gonna, he's hoping to be a starter uh, down the road here for the tide. The critical play uh, in this game. It's third and long. Uh, Alabama is kind of on their heels right now. The offense really started, you know, struggled to get going uh, after Young leads the game. It's third and long. 77-yard scramble from Jalen Milrow. He made bumper pool miss in space, and he took out a just electric playmaking ability uh, and then just was able to guide the offense the rest of the way. Uh, Jalen Milrow, uh, they're, they're, yeah, write, write his name down. We'll see if he ends up uh, you know, being the starter after Young leaves or if he's got to compete, uh, but certainly a name to file away for the future uh, as a potential quarterback for Alabama down the line. So Jalen Milrow, uh, that's my future stud for the week. Ben, uh, how about you? Well, I think we're in a little bit of a dip or a lull as far as Alabama O-line prospects. Mm-hmm. I don't see any in the top 50 kind of warranted at the moment. I think Javion Cohen's a little disappointing and maybe Ica Fork can squeeze in there, but don't worry. Down the road, they got a couple guys and out at right tackle, it seems like the the, cha- the chain and the train of Alabama tackles will continue with J.C. Latham, who's 6'5", 325, true sophomore, playing every snap at right tackle this season. He was a reserve right guard last year, so spent some time inside, but he's a kid that showed up to Alabama at about 300 pounds. He's put up about 20, 25 pounds in 18 months over there, up to 325. He's massive. He's brutal. He's a people mover. Vicious down blocks on poor three techs out there in the SEC. I do not wish uh, to be in that position on early downs. This kid's from Wisconsin initially, then finished his high school career at IMG, mostly on the defensive side and switched to offense late, but really interesting player. But if you see a kid blocking out the sun off that right side of the offensive line, true sophomore, just store it away for later. I love it. Uh, and obviously Alabama uh, known for putting offensive linemen and certainly offensive tackles uh, high into the NFL draft. So uh, potentially a name there to keep an eye on down the road. Let's now get into uh, what we've been doing over the last week, guys, our, our film room recaps. And uh, one receiver that I've had a chance to study here in the last couple of days, Tank Dell uh, from Houston. We're going to be talking about group of five players in the next segment. Uh, five foot ten. 160 pounds, right? 5'10 might be a little generous, right? He, he's definitely an undersized playmaker. Uh, just beyond his career at Alabama AM, then went the Juco route, then transferred uh, to Houston, and now he's playing in that Dana Holgerson offense. Um, spends the majority of his time in the slot. Does have that flexibility to be able to be moved around a little bit. This is a good athlete. Uh, I, he's more explosive uh, in a straight line than laterally, but he's got plenty of juice. He's both quick and fast. And some of that, sometimes that speed is like instant. That that ex- impressive acceleration and burst off the line of scrimmage definitely shows up. Great, uh, great reps of him tracking the football uh, and making a play on the ball in the air. I think that that's where uh, he really shined to me the most. I'd like to see him get a little bit better as a route runner. I think he's a little bit of a freelancer right now, which is fine. You can work with 
that uh, with his speed. Play strength is definitely a major concern. He's a guy that is listed small and I think plays a little bit small. Uh, but you get the ball in this guy's hands and he's got the ability to be a game breaker for you uh, offensively. So uh, one name I wrote down, and it was a very, very similar player coming out of the University of Georgia, that's Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, I think that Tank Dell could have that similar kind of career arc when you look at him and, and his usage. McKenzie, you know, kind of a, a bit player early on in his career and now has developed into more of an impact role player with the Bills. It wouldn't surprise me if Tank Dell uh, had a similar kind of career path. So uh, a guy that I think can play in the slot, he's just not your every down slot receiver because I don't know that he's that like uh, savvy uh, separator at this point. But I think when you look at what he could be down the road, he could be a nice back end roster player to start and then uh, develop into something a little bit more. But Tank Dell, uh, the, re- the the flashes are really, really impressive. I'm excited to do even a little bit more as we get through the rest of the season. Uh, ben, how about you? Uh, I think you're, you're sticking at the receiver position, I believe. I am, and it's a timely one because he's off a pretty big weekend performance. That's Boston College receiver Zay Flowers, who I feel like we've been talking about on this podcast for three to four seasons now. 5'11", 175, big play threat weapon receiver. He's got 147 career catches, averaging 16-4 per catch. So that just speaks to his explosive playmaking ability. But he's done it in a variety of ways. He has 14, nearly 15 yards average depth of target. So what does that mean, listeners? Down the field threat. He's a vertical threat, vertical speed, tracking, juice, double moves, explosiveness. He can win vertically down the field, whether it's press corners or, God forbid, you give him a runway to kind of execute that 4-4 speed. He will chew it up and run past you. But the other aspect He's averaged over seven yards after catch per reception in his career. So a big play threat down the field and also dangerous with the ball in his hands, which he did quite often early in his career at Boston College with a lot of jet sweeps and gadget touches and bubble screens. Really just want to get the ball in his hands. Once Halfley went over there and kind of installed a new offensive regime, now you're seeing the big play down the field threat. So this is a kid that's sudden, speedy, tough. He's creative. He's explosive. What's the downside? He's small. He's also not a route running specialist. He's dealt with some drops from time to time, both contested catches, uh, dealing with some play strength and concentration drops. And the other issue is 34 special team snaps in his career to be this explosive, speedy, athletic presence just hasn't contributed in a lot of different ways. So is he a Marquez Stevenson at Houston? Maybe Isaiah McKenzie, the way he kind of transitioned from Georgia into his role with the Bills. Wandale Robinson, I thought, had a little bit more juice as a route runner. I see really a 4-4 version of Tavon Austin. Now, Tavon went early in the first round, way back 15 years ago out of West Virginia. He had 4-3 speed all day long. I don't think Zay is quite that level of athlete and explosiveness, but he's good, and he's going to check all the boxes you need. Not quite as creative and explosive as a Kadarius Tony. I think early second round, kind of middle of day two, would be a really nice piece for a veteran offense that likes to feature players off play action and kind of scheme them open. Yeah, like you said, we talked about him a lot going into last season, so off of the 2020 film, uh, and then just a down year, injuries last year, the, you know, the offense was a little disjointed, the quarterback was in and out of the lineup, uh, and so not a great 2021 campaign, campaign from like a, a number standpoint, but good to see him rebound the way that he has so far this year. Uh, Dane, how about you? Uh, who's your film room recap for the week? The Ohio State offense is why the Buckeyes are a national title contender, but it's been really encouraging to see the defense play better. Uh, And and part of that is the improved play of the linebackers, uh, Eichenberg, and then specifically still Chambers, uh, who moved from running back. uh, He's playing really well. He's now in his fourth year as a redshirt junior. Aside from just having a, a, a beautiful linebacker name, 
Uh, he had a, a breakout performance against Rutgers over the weekend, 11 tackles, two for loss, interception, uh, and the tape I thought was even better than the, the stat line. His reactionary burst and chase speed are really impressive. He, he's, a, he's a tick undersized, and so that'll show at times when blockers are able to get on top of him, but his mirror skills are, are awesome, and he's starting to play faster and faster uh, as his backfield vision uh, and his awareness start to develop. Jim Knowles uh, developed Malcolm Rodriguez the last few years at Oklahoma State, and it looks like Knowles now coming over uh, as the defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes Looks like he's doing the same thing with Chambers, trying to put him on that type of tra uh, trajectory. So uh, still Chambers, definitely a name to watch moving forward. Yeah, uh, first of all, like you said, I mean, one of the best linebacker names we've seen uh, in quite some time. Well, uh, guys, we talked about a bunch of players here in this segment. Let's talk about a couple more. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in Gabriella DiGiovanni and go through the top group of five players uh, here so far in 2022. It's time now to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, well, time to keep the show rolling here with On the Clock as we welcome in my friend Ella DiGiovanni. Uh, Ella, uh, it's exciting. We haven't done this in a, in a couple weeks, so we've got uh, this. We've had three segments down, and each of us, Ben, Dane, and I, all have wins under our belt. So uh, a big week here, a little bit of a rubber match as we're sitting at uh, almost at the halfway point of the college football season. Someone's about to take the lead today. Yeah, someone, someone's going to take the lead here. And today's order, uh, it is going to be me first, Dane second, Ben third. It should also be noted that the three winners so far have all been hitting in the third spot. So uh, we'll see if that's a trend that continues here this afternoon. Um, Ella, why don't you introduce us to, uh, to the topic here this week? All right, let's do it. So we just wrapped up week five in college football. Uh, so to play on the number five before we head into week six, uh, which group of five prospects, so eligible for the 2023 draft, has had the best season so far? Fran? All right, so I, I will kick us off. And my strategy going into this was, all right, well, who is the best power or group of five team? And then who's the best player on that team? And so uh, right now, the best group of five squad, Cincinnati, the, the Bearcats, currently at number 24 overall. And their best player is the senior linebacker, Ivan Pace Jr., uh, six foot, 235 pounds. So an undersized linebacker, uh, almost always in the box. He will line up on the line of scrimmage. He's very versatile with their pressure package and how they're used. So he's got a little bit of a versatile skill set, Ella, but almost always like off the ball, pure stacked linebacker. Leads the team right now in tackles and force fumbles, always around the ball. Now, when you look at him on a national stage, what does he bring to the table? Well, despite being a pure off-ball backer, Ella, he leads the entire FBS in sacks. He's got eight. He leads the FBS in pressures. He's got 28. He's second in hits. He's got 10. He's got the, look, people look different ways at like PFF, like their grading system. But if you look at just the pure defensive grades, every single defensive player in the entire country and all of FBS, he's got the second highest grade of every single player. So I think when you look at uh, what Ivan Pace br brings to the table, this is a hyperactive, really athletic, rangy player who plays through contact. I'll be very interested, Dane, uh, and we talked about him a little bit earlier in the show, obviously. You know, I'm just kind of resetting the table here for Ella because Ben uh, highlighted his game this past week. But I think when you look at uh, Ivan Pace Jr., I wonder if he's this year's like Malcolm Rodriguez and people, everywhere, teams kind of missed on Rodriguez uh, a year ago from that skill set in terms of being an undersized backer who's rangy and can play through contact and always around the football. And you look at him and I wonder if now if he's helped by what, what Rodrigo has done uh, on a national stage with that Lions defense. So, uh, 
so Ella, that is my case for Ivan Pace Jr., the linebacker from Cincinnati. I like it. Dane, who you got? All right, so we're a month into the season, and here's the list of quarterbacks in college football who have at least 14 passing touchdowns and one or fewer interceptions. Drake May at North Carolina, who's going to be drafted very, very high in next year's draft, and then Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina, and that is my pick uh, for this category. Uh, It's a short list, uh, and McCall is playing outstanding. uh, Like we've grown accustomed to the last few years, he's completing 70% of his passes, uh, does a little bit of everything in that coastal offense, uh, option plays, RPOs. It's a passing game that really demands timing and quick thinking. And I think the best endorsement of McCall that I can give is if you like Jalen Hurts coming out of college, I think you're going to like McCall. They're, they're going to be dinged for a lot of the same reasons, you know, on tape, average size, questions about, you know, how they'll operate in a more, more of a pro style downfield attack. But McCall looks to use every level of the field. He's not a dink and dunk type of passer. He ranks top five in college football in yards per pass attempt at 10.1. Alabama's Bryce Young, uh, just for comparison purposes, he's only 8.5 in terms of yards per attempt. So, you know, even when uh, you consider that Coastal Carolina offense, McCall's doing this without his top three receivers from last year, including Isaiah Likely, uh, who is a mid-round draft pick now playing in the NFL. So you look at the poise, the instincts, that really stands out with Grayson McCall. He's a quick decision maker. Competitive uh, Competitiveness is off the charts. And he's a winner, 24-2 and two as a starter. And so, Fran, I like your philosophy. Uh, you know, you choose the best group of five team and the best player on that team. Well, Coastal Carolina is the best group of five team. They're 5-0. and oh. uh, Cincinnati's 4-1, and one, if I uh, – if I remember correctly. So uh, if you look at the individual numbers, you look at the what he's done for his team, the, Coastal Carolina is in the conversation, probably the favorite uh, to be the top group of five team this year and make a run at an undefeated season. All right, Ben, they showed up today. So you thrive in the cleanup position. So let's see what you got. Well, they picked two really good picks because I think those are the two picks to choose from. One on each side of the ball, Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina, who's been a phenom out there and a really unique offense. And Ivan Pace uh, in his transfer this year has been a one-hit wonder. Those are the two picks, Ella. There is no third option. That's it? That's all you got for me? (laughs) Well, I will say, uh, Dana, I've got a quick question for you. Yeah, which win was more impressive for Coastal? And I love a chance to clear. You know, Lord knows I love a chance to clear. Uh, did you like the win over Gardner Webb or Georgia State? Uh, which which one did you uh, did you like more? Because I, I look at Cincinnati and they've got they they took Arkansas to the limit, and then uh, you know you got you got a Power Five win in Indiana. You got you got some big wins there. And they also, I mean, Tulsa gave them a game. I mean, look, it, it, Cincinnati lost a lot of players off of uh, that squad from last year. So you know they're they're playing a lot closer games. I, there, there's no no question if we're going to just, you know, compare resumes, apples to apples, uh, the competition has been greater. But still, I think when you talk about an individual uh, who is doing a lot for his team, Ivan Pace is having a nice year. But Coastal Carolina, they're I think they're in the driver's seat now to be that that group of five team this year. Cincinnati, they had their time in the sun last year, went to the playoff and it was great. Now it's time for Coastal Carolina, five and zero, oh, and you know they're, they're, there's a good chance they run through this. Think about it too; the Sun Belt's better this year. You they think are. of App yep. State, you think of some of these other teams. 
So, you know, we'll find out more about Coastal Carolina here coming up pretty quickly, but Grace McCall's got them uh, in the driver's seat. And they do they do have Virginia uh, November 19th. That's a big win. That'll be a big game for them uh, down the stretch here, but mostly uh, a lot of fun belt action uh, for them here in the coming weeks. All right, so now I have to make a decision. Ben, ben made it easier on me today. I was ready for him to come in swinging. All right, so it's between Ivan Pace Jr. from Cincinnati, linebacker, or quarterback Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. I got to go with Dane today. Wow. Now, Fran, I thought I was going to be sticking with you because I also like the comparison to Malcolm Rodriguez. You had me on that one. But I don't know. Dane Dane really uh, brought the dogs today. I like it. I mean, I mean it, it just makes sense. I mean, I, as, as, soon as, McCall, as soon as I, I, as soon as Dane said, if you like Jalen Hurts, I saw your I face know. light up, Ella. Yep. And that was it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, like that, that wasn't, you know, strategic, but maybe, <laughs> maybe a little, maybe a little. <laughs> well, Ella, Dave, uh, both great stuff from you guys. Uh, we will talk to you both uh, next week. You're right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Ben's going to stick around. We've got one more segment here uh, on the back end of the show. But first, we're going to go over under the hood. We've got Justice Mosqueda talking through some D-line play uh, with Justice. What makes those great players great? It's time to roll up our sleeves and go under the hood. All right, so joining us this week here on Under the Hood, Justice Mosqueda does a great job uh, writing about the Green Bay Packers for the Acme Packing Company. You can follow him on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Justice, thanks so much for joining us, man. Absolutely, man. I, I can't turn down Fran. Never. <laughs> well, so whenever you, know, I, you need me. I, I've been sitting here. I'm like, all right, like, who can I get on to come on and talk about, like, defensive line play? And, I, of course, like, uh, you know, I, re- I referenced your work with Acme pa- Packing Company, but anyone that ha- didn't follow your work with uh, with force players, I mean, they, they were obviously missed out, uh, missed the boat on that one. And I thought, no, who better to come on and talk about trench play than you? Oh, that's that's great to hear. I, I think. Honestly, I think defensive line and edge rushers are probably the easiest position to evaluate, but they're also my favorite position to evaluate just because, I mean, this is where the freak athletes are playing, sure. right? High weight speed. We talk about that all the time, you know, through the draft process. If you compare the size of defensive linemen to offensive linemen, it's crazy what defensive linemen are able to do athletically. Yeah. And so, like, I wanted to focus in because we talked about edge rushers last week. So I thought for you and me today that we can kind of just talk through, like, the interior guys. And it used to be that we would just say defensive tackle. But I honestly, like, especially now, I kind of struggle saying, like, oh, yeah, it's just a defensive tackle. Because so many of these guys, not only will they play some over tackle and some off the edge uh, in the NFL, but so many of them were asked to do it more often than not in college. Like, do you feel like that's a fair characterization? A hundred percent. I think the kind of, you'd think of it as like the meta, right? At the college level. I mean, everyone's getting into a three, four and they're playing a lot of these mint tight fronts. I mean, look at, uh, look at Georgia. Yeah. Right. I mean, Georgia had an Ed rusher playing defensive tackle, basically, um, you know, a, a three, four defensive right. end without an outside linebacker outside of him, And that guy went first overall, despite all this lack of production. Right. So I, I think we're starting to see, you know, a whole lot more, projection at the positions um just based off of the nature of kind of how college defenses are playing compared to the nfl which i think is a response to how many rbos you're seeing at the college game right i mean we're noticing how little like a one-to-one transition there is from the college game to the nfl game now yeah uh, it's absolutely a growing trend. And, and you know, how, like since it trickles up 
it takes a while for mm-hmm. for the NFL to match what college has been doing, and uh, you know, it's just seeing that at the college level, and then slowly uh, get to where we are now with the NFL. I think it's it's just really interesting from that respect. Now, uh, let's kind of get into this position in particular. Do you have like a non-negotiable for interior linemen guys that are going to be winning, you know, playing in the trenches where it's just it's hard to be a great player without this one trait? You know, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said get off, yep. which is probably still my answer for, you know, edge rushers. But on the interior, I think play strength is just so important, especially the way the league is right now. Um, I'm sure your audience is probably tired of hearing it because everyone's talking about it right now. But the too high right? Two high defenses in the NFL right now. I think uh, year over year, we're seeing a five point decrease in points per game right now. And a lot of that is just attributed to, you know, teams are sitting in too high and they're just not trying to give up a ton of stuff in the past. And they're basically asking for you to run the ball. Right. And if you're going to do that, you need quality defensive tackles. And I think, you know, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, when teams were, sitting more in that kind of cover three type of defense, right? Where you're, you're, you're front-based, right? You need to get pressure um, from your four guys that you're sending on the defensive line, maybe get off and just being able to pin your ears back was a little bit more important. But now that everyone's sitting back and playing coverage, I think, you know, defensive tackles being able to play, um, keep those linebackers clean, right? Cause that's another thing that we're saying. These linebackers are getting smaller. They're getting faster. You got to free them up those defensive linemen have to be able to eat a lot more of those blocks. So making sure that you don't, you know, give up the guy on the combo, you're getting blocked early so that guard or center can work up to your middle linebacker or you're getting driven off the ball on a double team. I think that play strength is a whole lot more important now than it was in the past. And, and that's the thing is that I feel like some listeners might be surprised by that when you say, oh, well, if everything's geared towards stopping the pass, why do you care about an interior lineman that is going to give up some ground and give up some grass uh, in the run game? But uh, it's to to that point exactly. is like if you are going to be a three-down player and if you're going to play with lighter box – those guys that are playing in the box have to be able to hold up uh, against the run. I guess that that's really the brass tacks of it, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think we kind of saw the inverse of that. The Legion of Boom is always kind of an example I try to show. The Legion of Boom got all the hype, right? Because, you know, that defense, uh, you know, they were able to capitalize on all that stuff. But the pass rushing front, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, all those guys, Bruce Irvin being able to rush the passer, right? That's what really made that defense work. And I think that's why you saw that cover three type of defense fail at other spots. I mean, they're running the same scheme as the Seattle Seahawks did at other, you know, other teams in in the NFL, but they never had that pass rush. And if you don't have that pass rush, you can't get home with four, that coverage no longer works. I think it's kind of the same thing when you look at like um, really what like the Rams really um, were were on the cutting edge of it for a while. Um, I mean, when you have Michael Brockers on the inside and Aaron Donald, like it's hard to replicate that, right? It's really hard to replicate that. There's not Aaron Donald's just falling out of trees. Um, so I think, yeah, a hundred percent, if you don't have a defensive tackle who can kind of eat up those blocks, then you're having to spin, get a safety into the box. And now you're out of that defensive structure entirely. Now teams are taking shot plays in the passing game. You can't be reactive. If you want to set the tone and really have that identity, you need to be good enough in that identity to not be taken out of it. Yeah. 
And if a guy doesn't have that, it doesn't mean that he can't necessarily make it in the NFL. He's just going to have a very spe- a specific role, which is going to be fine for, yeah. for certain defenses. Hey, uh, guys can play, you know, 18 to 22 snaps or, you know, 15 to 17 snaps and get high value uh, out of those snaps. But uh, you're not going to be an every down great player uh, without that. So with that in mind, so you get play strength off the table. That's the, that's the non-negotiable. Uh, just real quickly, you can kind of buzz through the three and maybe we could just chop it up on like one of these traits. Do you have like three that you would say, okay, these are the most important on-field traits after that play strength for an interior alignment? Yeah. Um, first, get off, right? That's the other one that I that I brought up. Get off is just so important, um, especially on the inside where everything happens a whole lot quicker, right? And there's a lot more double teams on the inside than there is on the outside, at least in terms of the offensive lineman. The center, for the most part, is going to be helping out. I think get off is super important just because if you can get – a guy's relationship in the pocket off and you can get them into a two-way go. That's when you see guys start striving or or thriving as a a pass rusher. Right. And I think if you can get interior pass rush, right. Like you look at some of these quarterbacks, um, Tom Brady, the Packers just came off of that game. Um, These guys get the ball out of their hands so fast now, and they have such a good feel of their offense that if you don't get into your uh, pressure, there's really not much of a chance for those edge guys to come, you know, and loop through. Um, another one that I would say is leverage. Um, both, you know, the interior defensive line and edge positions, I think, are leverage positions. You want to see kind of the right type of sink in their hips and and, and their knees. Um, I know that's kind of hard to explain in an audio format, but like think of it as a guy playing with their hands above their eyes. That's ideally what you want to see without, you know, seeing a complete waist bender that's you know a 90 degree angle from their hips just standing straight up with their legs and straight down uh from the hips down or from the hips up and then the last position i would say is probably stamina especially interesting when when you look at like college defensive linemen it's really really important and one of the reasons why i like watching like full games instead of like the little cut-ups that you know people put up on youtube and stuff like that um understanding kind of how that defensive line rotation works and like how many plays a guy has been on the field for is really important to me. Um, You know, a lot of rookies aren't going to be asked to contribute early on more than like, I don't know, 30, 40% of the snaps, but being able to understand like, Oh yeah, this guy, you know, might not have the craziest efficiency stats, but he's on the field 85% of the time in college games that last four hours and are longer than NFL games. Cause the clock stops after every first down and stuff like that. And they're playing spread offenses that are making them run around like crazy guys might be playing in Texas where the heat is nuts now at these noon kick games and stuff. Um, being able to understand, you know, a guy's situation in that role compared to maybe someone, someone somewhere else and, the SEC where they're loaded with defensive line talent. They're rotating these guys all crazy, keeping them fresh. And he's only playing 20, 30% of the snaps. That's a really important difference in my mind. I love it. There's so much there to, to be able to chew on. Obviously, when you talk about, you know, get off leverage stamina, uh, I think that's a, a really good working point to work with uh, a play strength. When you look at um, your own evaluations, I'm really interested in this answer from you. When you look at your own evaluations, how have they evolved uh, at this position? You talked about, hey, you know, five years ago, you might have said get off ahead of play strength, but is there anything else that kind of stands out and say, like, yeah, this is how my process has changed and how my viewpoints have changed on this position? Yeah, I think, you know, length has also been something that I, I started to value a little bit more. Like, I think probably 
you know, five, 10 years ago, I would have been the guy who would have loved the undersized 280 pound defensive tackle, right? Like Aaron Donald, I didn't see an issue with him going nearly as high as he went where, you know, some people, I think it was like the Pittsburgh Steelers worked him out as like an outside linebacker that year at his pro day. Like there were crazy things said about Aaron Donald back in the day, but the length and strength stuff, I think is just more and more important in this league and has more and more value. Even though I think, I kind of think the offensive lines are getting better um, in the NFL. I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, the Eagles probably got the best one in the league, so it's pretty easy for you guys to say, but I just think in general, you know, we had what it was probably a decade of people just saying over and over again, the offensive lines are getting worse. The offensive lines are getting worse, but now I think like they're getting better. And that's what I think is kind of neutralized. Um, those quick little interior defensive linemen where now you got have a guy that can handle that and he's 320. Oh crap. Well, we're breaking even as pass rushers. We need to at least influence the run game, right? And that's where strength and length comes into play. And that's what, like, too, when I look at the way that offenses have evolved as well, where whether you want to talk about, like, the RPO game, but even just, like, the influx of, hey, we're going to go, we're going to have a wide variety of formations. We're going to factor in more play action, uh, more pre-snap motion, uh, more things just, you know, create, push the easy button for the quarterback. Well, that that in turn then makes a little bit thing, things a little bit harder for the defensive front. And so, uh, to your point, like, yeah, like, offensive lines are, are looking a little bit better, uh, but then, the, you know, the, the schematics of things are also helping to kind of negate some of the impact that those undersized rushers can have um uh, in the past you've done an outstanding i, I referenced four play, force players earlier when you're looking at different uh athletic measurements are, are there things that you value uh most above other aspects when you look at this position for sure um 10 yard split i think is really important i think people get the 40 times wrong a lot like they don't understand being in a three-point stance matters, right? And a lot of these wide receivers who run really well or corners who run really well in the 40-yard dash, they have a background in track, right? So they've been training getting out of stances their whole lives for a position that doesn't really care about. That. Right. When's the last time you've seen a wide receiver in a three-point stance? I know there's old, like, Jerry Rice videos from, like, his rookie year where he's doing that, but that hasn't been a thing in the NFL for 40 years. Um for defensive line, I think it is important because that's almost like a pseudo measurement of your get off, right? I mean, that's you're trying to correlate these drills to things that they're doing on the field, right? So I think the 10 yard split and the 40 yard dash um, are important. And then I think the three cone is really important. I think the three cone in general for, you know, interior defensive linemen and edge rushers is super important just because that's kind of your uh, hip flexibility, right? Your ability to turn around the corner, that's your ability to play a half man. And that's really, as pass rushers, what you're trying to see from, you know, both the interior and exterior of the defensive line. Yeah, I think you, you've done so much work on this topic, and I would encourage all of our listeners to go back and read some of it because it's still out there uh, to, to be digested. But um, when you look at the athletic testing, it's been such a good uh, omen for a lot of guys that have turned out well, whether it's day one, day two, day three uh, in the draft. Um, so make sure you go check out some of Justice's work there. Uh, last question for you, man. It, just talking about um, how guys are valued. We talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the conversation. How do you kind of view that uh, in terms of the the prism around interior defensive linemen in today's league? Because you know the one thing I, I one of the things I'll, I always do inside my like my own workspace inside my own uh, like spreadsheet cataloging notes on players and you know and ranking guys is that um, 
the, uh, the looking at like 10 year sample of the last 10 years. All right, where does this guy rank in the last 10 years in this category, that category, that category? And in looking at that, you're going to say, all right, what, what, how have those numbers changed over time? Well, you're starting to see like less and less interior, quote unquote, defensive linemen drafted. And that goes to the, what we were saying at the top in terms of some of so many of these hybrid guys that maybe I've categorized more as edges and not uh, as uh, pure inside guys. But uh, I'm just to kind of get your thoughts just on the value of the interior rush, uh, you know, these guys that line up in those techniques. Yeah, so I, I think they're still as valued as ever because you can also look at the free agency market. Right. And and new contracts given out. And I don't think, you know, defensive linemen aren't going to get paid anytime soon. I, I don't think that's the reality. But at the same time, to your point, there are fewer and fewer interior defensive line linemen getting drafted um, early on in the draft. Devontae Wyatt, I think, was the second interior defensive lineman drafted this past draft class. He's a 24 year old and he got drafted like 30th overall or something like that. So I, I think that does have some merit. Um but I, I do think like veterans who can prove themselves are still as valuable as ever because the offensive line is getting better and better, you know, year by year. We're having guys go down with injuries and like the backups are coming in and playing decent. That's not the case of, of the NFL probably, you know, a decade ago. So the other thing, too, is defensive linemen outside of Aaron Donald and probably, you know, Chris Jones, Vita Vea, Kenny Clark come to mind in like different type of roles. But you're not seeing all these three technique, you know, we're getting him in one-on-one matchups, pin his ears back, get after the quarterback, get after the running back, stop the run on the way to the quarterback type of defensive tackles anymore. We're just not really making them at the college level. Um, So it's interesting to see, or it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this moves along because the demand for interior defensive linemen isn't going down anytime soon. More teams are playing three of them than they are playing two of them right now right in in their base defenses so just because college isn't making them doesn't mean that teams aren't actively going after them so I kind of wonder if it's gonna go kind of like the way of quarterback where it's like the high 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 end ones are just getting pushed up the draft board like crazy and then there's that big gap between like the next tier right yeah, I think that makes sense. It's just like I'm looking at the numbers in front of me. And again, part of this is just how like how I evaluated a guy, not necessarily how like the league, quote unquote, uh, evaluated a player. But like, uh, you know, 2014, 26 guys go off the board, 2015, 27, the next year, 27, next year, 28, 28. Then you look 2019, 2020, 21, 2022. So the last four drafts the high has been 23. And so like, it's just like a, a lot, le- a lot fewer of these guys have been going off the board uh, every year. And, and as you mentioned, like uh, the second one off the board was Devonte Wyatt this spring. Only four guys have gone in the, uh, in the first round in the last three years total. And so I think it's fascinating. I think this year, maybe there's a little bit of a course correct, right? Cause it looks like the, that interior class yeah. this year is going to be really, really strong. We've talked about that here on the podcast, but um, no, it's, it's going to be fascinating, man. It's uh, really good stuff. And again, uh, really appreciate you jumping on. Make sure you go check check out Justice's work uh, everywhere uh, that he puts out, whether it's covering the Packers, covering the NFL draft. Justice, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Anytime. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so like I said, great stuff there from Justice Mosqueda. Let's now transition into our scouting report where, Ben, uh, I want to talk through C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who the Eagles traded for just on the eve of the season, just as training camp preseason coming to a close uh, from the New Orleans Saints. 
We talked about it at the time, primarily a slot receiver or a slot corner during his time in New Orleans, but uh, a safety in name. Now it has been a safety full-time for the Eagles the first four weeks of the season. Uh, let's go back, though, into the time machine. 2019 draft coming out of Florida. What were your notes uh, on C.J. Gardner-Johnson? Yeah, and this was a player I had the opportunity to see in person five times. Yeah, it was all over those Florida Gator teams and watching Ja'Kai Polite and uh, Jabari Zaniga and all those guys on the defensive side and playing on offense, too. But anyway, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, really interesting prospect at 5'10", 210, with a cornerback profile that eventually transitioned to a safety-nickel hybrid role for that Florida Gators defense, mostly under Todd uh Todd uh, Graham. Todd Graham, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, he's or Todd, Todd Grantham. Grantham. Sorry. Grantham, that's yes. right, yeah. Um, a little more aggressive than, yes. uh, yeah, than yeah, Graham. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But he was quick, explosive. He saw the speed, the range. He had the ability to mirror routes. Really physical at the top of routes. Physical in jams. Fluid athlete. Um, I think he was projecting as a nickel cover safety, uh, maybe a big nickel in the NFL. I had some issues with his angles at times, uh, his run fills, his processing at times, inconsistent tackler at times, which you kind of saw some of that cornerback pedigree, you know, the run fill, the keys in the run game, tackling in the run game, all those things you kind of come to expect with converting a corner to the middle of the field. So that was all par for the course. But his best kind of traits in there were his toughness and his ability to play so many different spots on that defense, which you still kind of see today uh, out in that Florida defense despite having a new regime. You see guys like Trey Dean having played corner, played nickel, played star, played safety. That's how I felt about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yep. Just kind of a versatile variety of defensive back spots for a defensive back group. Yeah, to me, like, it was one of the more fun players to study in that class. That was a really strong safety class. There was a bunch of guys that have come in and have made an impact right away in the NFL and, and have had staying power uh, in their current defenses. And I think when you look at, at Gardner-Johnson, uh, that versatility certainly stood out. Most of the time was down in the slot. but didn't see a ton playing deep down the field. Um, but you saw the skill set, especially in the, in, the, in the last couple of years, you saw that skill set. Who was the... Was it the bowl game? It was his final game. He had that crazy interception where he kind of like peeled off. Yes, and, against uh, Shea Patterson in Michigan, the yeah, bowl game. Yeah, unbelievable Beautiful play. play. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable play where he was kind of it was like a uh, a vertical high low concept. He was matched up on the slot receiver running an over route. Uh, the ball was thrown. He fell off that route. It was a post route thrown behind him, and so he had to kind of like speed turn, find the ball, and you're like. Yeah, there's the skate. There's the safety skill set right there. Yeah, he just plucked that thing like he had been doing film study all week. Like he knew they were setting him up, speed turned right around and plucked it, and just buzzing back through that safety class. I mean, going down the list, Mike Edwards. We just saw him play some good ball last night for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Darnell Savage, Amani Hooker. Just got a new contract from the Tennessee yep. Titans. Maybe not a household name. Top of the draft, Juan Thornhill, Jonathan Abram, Darnell Savage, those types. Really fun group of uh, safeties that year. Will Harris, you can go further Taylor Rapp. Down, down the list here. Yeah, a lot of players that are still major, major contributors for their team. Yeah, it was a, a really, really good safety class overall. And uh, Gardner Johnson, certainly a guy uh, that fits into that mold. Now, um, looking back over your notes, did you have a trait uh, that you feel like, oh, yeah, like this definitely showed up uh, in terms of college to the NFL? Well, I felt he was a feisty player no uh you know he was uh obviously an sec kind of alpha you know uh trash talker out there at times and he saw it with his presence he saw it with jams and reroutes but i can't hammer it home the way i saw his inconsistent tackling at florida so i think his number one trait was his versatility mm. the fact that he had some toughness some willingness and i could go out there and cover anybody on the field if i need to 
but then what can I do for you over the middle of the field? I'll beat up a slot for you. I'll wrestle with a tight end in coverage if I have to. I could blitz for you and just be an athlete in the middle of the field. So I think his versatility is really what kind of ca- caught my eye in that defense, especially having played a little corner early on. Yep. I love that cornerback pedigree at the safety position because that's what everybody wants in the NFL. Toughness in the middle of the field, guys that can you know support and do some things and pressure package in the run game but not be a liability. You won't have to go man-to-man. you got to cover a slot receiver or an athletic tight end. Chauncey Gardner seemed like he was checking the boxes of the big nickel in the NFL. That's to me like I, this is directly from my notes after watching him. A hyper-competitive defensive back who likes to go toe-to-toe with opponents, plays with a lot of energy, and will chirp back and forth with receivers, was used as a blitzer, played as a core special teamer early in his career, took his job as a, seriously as a junior as well in that role. So, again, just talking about like his competitiveness, and you watch it with the Saints, before he came here to Philly, that competitiveness really stood out. You watch him through four games, this guy's always flying to the football. So uh, to me, that competitiveness absolutely was one that carried over from college to the NFL. Uh, now looking at his usage, and again, um, I guess like the, the usage in, uh, in here in Philadelphia is different than what we saw in, for most of his career at Florida. But is there a specific way where you're like, yeah, that, I could definitely see that transition from one level to the next? Well, I think just playing this new age big nickel in the NFL and then just being a versatile player for the Jonathan Gannon scheme, which I think more versatility you have in your middle of the field players, your linebackers, your Mike Wills, your Sams, your defensive backs, obviously, it just doesn't pigeonhole you into a responsibility or into a skill set because offenses work for six days in attacking what you don't like to do. So all it takes is a simple motion from the offense and all of a sudden you were a slot receiver and you got moved to free safety. Mm. We've seen those jump calls all the time where, you know, there's a quick rotation. Well, not everyone is comfortable with those types of roles. So having guys that are versatile, comfortable, and can play it at a high level, that just makes it so dangerous for a defense. And I think you're seeing that now with the way Jonathan Gannon's deploying his defense. A lot of different schemes, a lot of different shells on the back end. And that's really because of the versatility that guys like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson provide them. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note, like, the, the Saints played uh, as much or more man coverage, uh, especially once you get to third down, as anybody. And so, okay, we're going to put him in the nickel, uh, and that's that's kind of his role, um, you know, where he can man up on, on slot receivers and, at times, smaller tight ends. Um, but when you look at zone-heavy schemes, I feel like the – the roles and responsibilities between nickel corners and safeties are there's so much gray area there. There's so much uh, everything in the middle of the Venn diagram that, yeah, let's let's have him be listed as a safety. That's why I had him listed with the safeties. because I felt like that was more of his skill set coming out of Florida. And he's such a good player over the last three, four years, but caught in such a hybrid role in the NFL. Yep. I feel like he isn't mentioned in with the elite corners and the elite safeties yep. because he isn't either. He's that nickel, and there's so many around the league, whether it's the Kenny Moores, the Teron Johnsons, the Mike Hiltons, our own Avante Maddox, those nickels, those slot, those hybrid players, you get caught in no man's land as far as just general attention, in my opinion, because you're not a big, sexy press corner on the outside, and you're not Derwin James or Micah Fitzpatrick. You're one of these playmaking safeties. You're caught in no man's land positionally, which, you know, even just kind of taking one step further, fantasy and things like that you get a defensive player well there's safeties and there's corners there's no nickels out there right so just as far as like buzz and stock and their quality and their aesthetic as far as the way fans view them and analysts i just think some of these guys are not talked about the way they should and they have some tough tough roles being that nickel that slot that halfway defender where you have run reads coverage reads you're in pressure packages you have to know all the motions and the checks you're not just on the back end or on your island a corner 
you have to a lot of you have to do a lot of things out there. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it's just one of the more ever evolving positions in football. And as we talk about, like uh, all the different hybrid bodies on offense, well, you need hybrid bodies on defense to be able uh, to combat that. Uh, last question, and you were raving about your selection here for this. What, what player in college football in this class reminds you of him? You have. I have no idea who it is. Can I make one guess? Sure, absolutely. All right, is it a guy who plays in the state of Florida? He does not. Ooh, I thought. For, see, I thought it was going to be Jamie Robinson. Uh, yeah, he. I had him listed. Okay. He was in contention. Okay. Him and Malachi Moore and Brian Branch yep. are all those kind of hybrid players out there. Jamie was certainly in the conversation. Okay. Ronnie Hickman out there at Ohio State's playing some good ball in that hybrid role, but Chris Smith for Georgia. Ah, nice. Four-star cornerback. Now kind of the captain of that defense playing on the back end in a similar to hybrid role. A little bit better angles and tackling at this point in his career. Kirby Smart's as good as it gets coaching those kids out there. We've seen it all over the NFL. But Chris Smith, the cornerback ability, the pedigree, the coverage ability with the safety, you know, experience now in the SEC with, you know, reading NFL style run schemes and playing on the back end of a national championship team. Chris Smith. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I can also see them kind of falling in the similar part of the draft as well. Mm. It's another interesting safety class, and Chris Smith may take a back seat, you know, to four or five of them because of that, just like Chauncey Gardner. It's okay. Don't worry about where you got drafted. Get to a team and, and you know, write your history afterwards. I love it. Well, uh, Ben, this was, this was fun. I, I like having these conversations, just uh, kind of talking about some current players in the NFL and reflecting it uh, back to this draft class. And notice our reflection listeners. It's a couple years removed. Yes. Give them time to develop and settle in as professionals and as young adults in life. Not just figuring out the NFL game, but all that stuff off the field, too. So don't bury them after camp or that training camp clip you see of a corner getting cooked in practice, even after the first year, maybe second year. Three years is a great window to evaluate these rookies. Keep your notes around, reflect back, make yourself a better scout too. Figure out where you missed or where you didn't emphasize enough or maybe you neglected an area. Uh, so I think this is a fun exercise, but make sure you're doing it with the right parameters. And it's also notable that some guys go the other way, too, where they start off really hot no as question. rookies, second-year players. And we well, crown yeah. them right away. We crown them, and then all of a sudden it's like year three, and it's like, oh, this guy's not being brought, brought, brought back for a second contract. That happens as well. Um, so just giving those guys time to cook and time to develop uh, I think is really, really important. Well, Ben, uh, great stuff as always, and I really appreciate both Ben we have Gabriella, we had Justice, we had Dane, uh, everybody here on today's show. We'll be back later this week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, continuing to talk through this college football season and next spring's NFL Draft.